I'd love to look with you this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, please turn there. I'm going to actually read the whole chapter to you. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with this chapter, it is unbelievably deep. We could, we could literally, I mean, I guess I've said this to you a bunch, but we could spend a year just on this chapter. But I mean, it's literally true. Every verse of this chapter, I, I could preach a sermon on every verse, and that'd be like 26 weeks. And that'd be half a year, and it would take me more than that if we just kept going. It's, it's unbelievably deep. So I want to read this to you. I would love for you just to try to take this in. <clears throat> just remember some preliminary remarks here. Chapters 13 through 17 are covering one 24-hour period. Um, that's one thing. Second thing is remember that in what I'm about to read to you, we are getting to eavesdrop on Jesus Christ talking to the Father. Like we're, we're getting to listen in on what he says to his own Father. It's astounding. Um, there's, this passage has been outlined in the same way for, as far as I can tell, um, a couple thousand years. Um, and I'm going to give you that outline because it's not the outline I'm going to follow because um, I only have one shot to preach this for now. But if you listen as I'm reading it to you, you'll, you'll see very clearly the first five verses of this chapter, Jesus is talking to his father about himself. Um, verses 6 through 19, you will find that Jesus is praying to the father for his disciples. And then 20 through 26, he's praying for those who would believe. That's you and me. That means as you and I are here this morning, we are the proof that Jesus' prayers are effective. Like he prayed for you 2,000 years ago, and here you are. You are the fulfillment of this prayer. Isn't that amazing to think about in and of itself? He's looking through the corridors of time and praying for those who would believe. Listen to this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you. Before the world existed, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and those things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also who you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, help us to not grow weary of hearing the good news, the gospel. We acknowledge that we often are so distracted by other things. Would you cause us to want the gospel more and more? To want to know more of what it means that we have been redeemed. And we pray this for our good. We pray it for your glory. Amen. I want to ask you a question. I do this every now and then. I'd love for you to respond, okay? But if you don't respond, it's all right. I get it. You know, it's dark outside. It's raining. You might rather be sleeping right now, resting, whatever. Uh, So if you don't answer, I get it. But I'll ask you just in case. Um, what, What has captivated your attention recently? Is there anything? Anything that's captivated your attention recently? The recovery on Ocracoke, yeah. I know you're real passionate about that and have a real heart for that, Lori, yeah. By the way, this is not something where I'm going to pull the rug out from under you, okay? I'm just generally asking. You know, something that's grabbed your attention, something that has kept your attention, something that's like stuck. I'll give you an example. I've really enjoyed watching the new documentary that Ken Burns put out on country music. It's been amazing, amazing. Even if you don't like country music, the history is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. But that's just my opinion. That's captivated me. doesn't have to captivate you. Anything else? The Overcomer, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's held your attention. Yeah. Something you keep coming back to, thinking about. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Colorado. Kathy, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I would say, just having this bilateral knee surgery, mm. I am fascinated by how a lot of people 
Ja. 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 And even how God answered our prayers and you were up moving faster than you thought. Yeah. That's great. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I was in Colorado. Um, I was uh, trying to go to a retreat. I ended up having to go to Dallas. I'm in the middle of it and come back to Colorado. But when I was in Colorado, one of the things I did um, was uh, drive up to the top of the Continental Divide. And that's about, that's over 12,000 feet up. Now, you know, just to state the obvious, uh, I believe the highest point in downtown Greenville is about 53 feet, if, if I'm not mistaken. So it puts a little, little perspective. So at the top of the Continental Divide, I'm standing at 12,200 plus feet. And at this point, I'm above the tree line. You know, around the 10,000, 11,000 foot range, trees don't grow. So here I am, 1,000 plus feet above that. And looking over the edge, down at 12,000 plus feet, it's pretty breathtaking. I love the mountains of North Carolina and East Tennessee. They're beautiful. Uh, I feel at home there in many ways. But being in Colorado at that kind of level, captivating. I can't stop thinking about being that high. That far, I've got to be careful about saying that high in Colorado, don't I? <laughs> I'm thinking on my feet this morning, huh? Yeah, um, I've passed my drug test, by the way, so everything's good. No, no worries about that. Um, it was captivating being in Colorado at that level. Did you catch that? Yeah. At that level, that many feet above the sea, um, and how different it was from anything. Well, the point of the passage this morning is this, and you've heard this before. The point of the passage is this. Jesus hopes that we would be so captivated by the grace of the gospel that Jesus would be the purpose and motive and mission of our lives. Got that? The point of this passage is that we would be so captivated by the grace of the gospel that Jesus would be the purpose, motive, and mission of our lives. So we're going to talk about mission. We are going to talk about um, uh, Jesus is going to describe for us those who are on mission and then how we can make this happen, how we can see this work out in our lives. So we're going to start with mission. So if you've got a copy of your bulletin or scriptures in front of you, look at this. Look at how Jesus talks about mission, because he is speaking these words to the Father, he is, he is thinking about us, those who believe, those who would believe, and he is telling us that we are to live lives on mission. The totality of our lives is to be about mission. Look at verse 14, then look at verse 15 and 18 and verse 21. Look at what Jesus says in verse 14, that we are not of the world. That's what he says in verse 14. Did you catch that? Then if you look at verse 15 and 18, Jesus says this. However, he is not asking that we would be taken out of the world. We actually have been sent, as Jesus says in verse 18, into the world. Does that make sense? You've heard some of these phrases before. 
So we're not of the world, meaning we're not supposed to think like the world, the culture that we live in. We're not supposed to act in the same way all the time. We are, because of God's grace, different, and we're going to explore that. But he doesn't want us to be taken out of the world. So if your view of Christianity is hoping that we will have this grand escape and that the message of Christianity is just this escaping out of the world, you've missed it as well. Because Jesus actually wants us to live in the world. He sent us into the world. And then look at verse 21. The reason for this is so that the world might know that the Father sent him. So the point is, is that Jesus wants his followers to live in such a way that other people might know that Jesus was sent by the Father, that Jesus was living his whole life on mission. You see, it's not just, it's not just that Jesus was born in the world, it's that he was sent by the Father to do something. He was sent on mission. It's not just that when you read the gospel accounts, what you find is that Jesus is so compassionate and caring and he loves people. It's that he is also 100% authentic and real so that he would say, yes, I am the one who forgives sin. It's not just that Jesus died unjustly. It's that his death was a substitute, acting as a substitute for you and me, for people like you and me. It's not just that Jesus lived in the first century and had all these followers. It's that Jesus was establishing and enhancing and clarifying the church, the institution of the church. Jesus wants us to live in the world, to realize that we are sent, so that Others might know that his whole life was mission. His whole life was lived following following and fulfilling the mission that God had for him. And therefore, we are sent on mission. Make sense? Now, here's the thing. The message of our culture about mission is this. Um, Figure out what your dreams are. And live your life, a.k.a. mission, to fulfill your dreams. And sometimes that gets reduced down to this. This is oftentimes the way in which our culture defines mission. You know, the culture that we're a part of, the culture that we hear these things all the time and sometimes even fall into believing it. Sometimes our culture reduces the mission of our lives down to this. Not just fulfilling your dreams. But do whatever makes you happy. As if that's the mission of our lives. We just do whatever we want to do to make us happy. And here's the method that our culture gives us in order to fulfill this mission and to fulfill our dreams. The method is live by power and performance. So when you run into people that are different than you or more capable than you or more accomplished than you, then the method that we should employ is we make ourselves better than other people. Or we do everything we can to get their approval so that somehow we can use that someday for our favor so that people just become a means to serving our ends in fulfilling our dreams. 
in whatever we think will, living in such a way that whatever we do will make us happy. See, that's the way our culture thinks about mission. And Jesus doesn't buy into that at all. For Jesus, mission and living on mission means this, that we use our gifts or our position or whatever it is that we have, whatever it is, how, whatever God has given us, we use um, our position, our gifts, um, even our comfort for ourselves. And Jesus says, no, mission is when you use your comfort and when you use your gifts and when you use your position for others. When we live our lives as if we are second we live our lives as if we're interested in using all of our resources and thinking about others before self. You see, that's exactly what he did, right? He put aside his comfort, and he used his position, and he uses his gifts for us. He put those things aside for himself so that he might do the work fulfilling God's mission. For us, on our behalf, making himself uncomfortable for us, using his gifts and abilities and position for us, to redeem us. This is why the gospel won't let us live by power and performance. Because you see, how in the world can we ever think to ourselves that we're better than other people? We are sinners before God. We have rebelled against God. And God has been merciful to us. So how in the world can we ever think that we're better than someone else? And when we come across someone or people who are more accomplished than we are and have more things than we do, or we think that their life must be better than ours, we, the gospel compels us to think we don't need their approval. Because of what Jesus has done, we have the ultimate approval, the approval of God. And because we have God's approval, we do not have to live for this person's approval or that person's approval. We have the approval that trumps everything else, that's more important than everything else. Jesus is saying that we ought to live our lives as if all those things are true. Now, Jesus, in telling us to live on mission, when you read this chapter, he doesn't really tell us what we should be doing. He just says we need to live as if we're sent by God with the hope that others might know that Jesus was sent by God, that his whole life was about mission. But Jesus doesn't tell us what we should be doing. As a matter of fact, in the other verses, what he does is he describes the people that are living their lives in a missional way. He describes the people that are on mission, and there are three characteristics that he gives us. We'll go through these quickly. The first one is this. Someone who is living their lives on mission has been sanctified. Big word, Jesus uses it. So it's good for us to use it as well. Look at verse 17 and verse 19. There are other places in this chapter, but those are two prominent places where Jesus says we have been sanctified. Those who are on mission have been sanctified, which means they've been set apart. They've been set apart. Now, you know what this means, right? You know what it means to be set apart? In the, in the Osborne house, um, we have kitchen rags and we have 
wash rags, you know? And in the kitchen, you don't use a wash rag on the floor. Wash rag is used to clean dishes in the countertops with paper towels. Kitchen rags are used to clean the floor. You don't clean the countertops with kitchen rags. I've learned this a thousand times because I keep forgetting. There are some rags that are set apart just for the countertops. And there are other rags that are set apart just for the floor. They have a particular responsibility and task. And Dave should not mix those. Use the kitchen rags in their appropriate place. And the wash rags in their appropriate place. Same thing, well, we won't go on. You get the point of what I'm talking about. Jesus has set us apart. He has set us apart for particular responsibilities. And this also means progress. If you look at verse 17 and verse 19, it also means growth. It also means change. So if you're here this morning, think to yourself, well, I don't know if my life has any type of meaning at all. Jesus is saying, look, here's what I'm offering you, that your whole life will be lived for me and that you would even be set apart for the particular task of serving me. And that means that you will grow. And that means that you will change. And that means that progress is not just possible, it's inevitable. You will grow. I will grow. First characteristic, sanctify. Second is this, because something is connected with sanctify here and being sanctified and being set apart. And it's this phrase we've already heard, captivated by the truth. Throughout these verses, over and over and over, Jesus talks about truth. Truth is connected to being set apart. Truth is connected with our change. You see, Jesus wants us to be captivated by the truth. You know those things that stick in your head, that grab your attention, that keep you, that make you think about things over and over and over, captivated by the truth? I'll tell you some things that have stuck in my mind lately that have continued to just go around over and over and over. I had a friend of mine in the community that uh, his son unexpectedly died. Not yesterday, a week before, Saturday week ago. Unexpected. Uh, went to his memorial service and spent some time with him. And what kept coming into my mind over and over and over is something that I've read or sung a number of years ago, and it's this. Earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal. Just kept thinking about this friend of mine that lost his son, young. And that just kept coming into my head. Earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal. I mourned with him, I grieved with him, but yet I know that we have hope. We have hope. Tell you another truth that's stuck in my mind. As I was researching something a few months ago, uh, I came across this phrase. And it was this, something to this effect. It's pretty close to it, if not literally that, this. Uh, slavery is America's birth defect. Whoa, what an amazing statement to ponder and think about and wrestle with. Let that sink in. What are some truths that have, that have captivated you, 
Because Jesus is saying those who are living on mission have been set apart, and they are also captivated by truth. And of course, this is the truth of God and who God is. And it's not so much that Jesus is saying that we're on this journey or this quest to discover truth or make our own truth or find the truth as much as the truth has found us. As much as the truth has found me and you. And that the truth of who God is has come into our lives. It's not that we are smart enough to discover it. It's not that we just looked in the right place. It's that the reality of who God is has come inside of us from outside and has revealed who we are, who he is, and that truth is captivating. And what that means is that truth is foundational for our lives. All of us are living by some truth. And Jesus is saying those who are living their lives on mission have been captivated by truth. It's the foundation of our lives. It's the truth of God. It's what unites us. It's why Jesus says over and over and over in this passage that we are unified and to remain unified because of truth. And the third characteristic is this, that those that are living on mission are being kept being kept by God. Verse 12 and 15 in particular, look at verse 15, that we will be protected or kept from the evil one. You see, Jesus knows that we are troubled. Remember the previous chapters? He knows that we are trying to live our lives in a fallen world and that we're fallen people. He knows that we will face tribulation, challenges. We will face suffering. We will face all kinds of unexpected things. But yet Jesus says here, he prays, to his father, what comes out of his mouth is that we would be kept, protected. And that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we will not have to worry about suffering. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that when we face suffering and tribulation and trials, that God will be with us, that we'll never be alone. And that ultimately all of the challenging things that are going on in our lives will work for God's glory, that they are redemptive. There's something about them that makes us more like Christ and helps us understand his life even more and more clearly. Well, here's the third thing. How is it possible to be this kind of person? How is it possible to be someone who is sanctified, who is captivated by the truth, someone who is accepted by God, someone who is living their life in its totality on mission? How can we be this kind of people? How can we be this kind of person? How can we live our lives on mission? Well, the first six verses tell you. It's Jesus. This is how all of this works. This is how all of this comes about. This is how we grow in all of these ways. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Look at what he says. In verse 1, the hour has come. We've talked about this a lot. When John uses that little phrase, the hour has come, it's talking about Jesus' death. It's talking about his suffering. It's talking about the reality that redemption is right around the corner, that he's pursuing the redemption of his people through his death and through his resurrection. And look at verse 4. 
Jesus is so committed to living for the glory of God. Jesus is so committed to his death and his resurrection that in verse 4, he speaks as if it has already been accomplished. Listen to this. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He hasn't died yet. That's telling you how committed he is to going to the cross. He can speak to his father as if it is already done because he is that committed to fulfilling the mission of his father. Now here's the real kicker. How does all this happen in our lives? How can we be this kind of person? How can we be a people who are living on mission? Have you ever thought about the father giving you into the hands of the son? You notice how many times in the first few verses Jesus talks about this? Father, the ones that you gave me. Father, the ones that you entrusted to me, that you gave me. Have you ever thought about the good news of Jesus in terms of the Father giving you to the Son? Now, I know this is deep and requires a lot of reflection, but I hope that you'll attempt it or think about attempting it. Have you ever thought about the Father giving you to the Son or have you always thought that Jesus is going to the cross and he's going to die and after that, now Jesus is hoping for two things. He's hoping that you will find him and he's hoping that you will just hang on after you found him. Is that the way you think about Christianity? Is that the way you think about the message of Jesus? That he's just going to go to the cross and do his thing, and then he's hoping that two things will happen for you. He's hoping that you'll come to him, and that after you come to him, you'll hang on. Because if that's the way that you've thought about the message of Christianity, if that's your view of what Jesus is doing, I will submit this to you as humbly as I can for your consideration. If that's your thinking about Christianity, then everything about your Christian walk has always been about you. Everything has been about you and what you did and what you need to do. This is why people who have this mentality are constantly struggling with, am I good enough? Have I believed enough? Am I invested enough? Am I being radical enough? Because they are focused on self. But if the Father has given you to the Son, if the Father has given you to Jesus, then Jesus did everything for you and for me. It means that he is a literal Savior, that he literally fulfilled everything that his father commissioned him to do. He did it all to save you. So that now our focus, you see, is not on self, but it's on him. So that now we're not worried about being insecure. We have the most security possible because the father has given us to the son and the son has accomplished his entire mission. 
He has done it all so that security is real. So that we can be captivated by that truth that we literally were purchased by Jesus and that we belong to him and that God has accepted us. Even faith, you see, from this vantage point is a gift. We can't even take credit for believing. Even though we are absolutely responsible, God has graciously given us faith. You see, if Jesus has been given a people by the Father, then we will grow and we will change and we will be kept. The only way for our whole life to be on mission, the only way for the totality of our lives to be lived on mission is to realize that Jesus' whole life was mission for you. For me. You see, oftentimes we come to God, uh, we come to worship, we come to Bible studies, we come to all sorts of Christian things. We often want something. Maybe we want new tricks or new methods on how to fix things in our family or fix things at work. Sometimes we come to God and we we want something like, well, God, I want relief from this. Or I want to be vindicated for that. Or I want my fears to go away. Sometimes we come to God just wanting something. And God is constantly, perpetually wanting us to want someone. He wants us to want Jesus. Incessantly. To be captivated by him. God wants us to be a people that are so captivated by the grace of the gospel that Jesus becomes our purpose and our motives and our mission. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would continue to answer Jesus' prayer. And make us a people that are alive and excited about the Savior that we know. So that whether at work, at home, neighborhood, exercising, eating out, dealing with problems, dealing with challenges, so that we would be thinking about Jesus. And that we would know that he is being formed within us. Holy Spirit, we learned a few weeks ago that you are the glue that holds everything together. We believe. Help our unbelief. We pray this through the blood of our Savior. Amen.